Our scripture reading this morning is Psalms 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. It's the word of God for the people of God. Good morning, church. Before we get started, I'd like to, uh, sorry, I didn't give you a chance to say good morning. Good morning, church. I'm Pastor Matt. It's wonderful to be here with you. Um, I wanted to let you know that uh, Pastor Laura is actually at a work conference, and she wanted me to let you know that. She's not on another vacation. She didn't extend her vacation. Uh, she had to, actually, where is she traveling to? It's somewhere in L.A. this week at, at a work conference, and they're doing some really innovative and creative um, imagining uh, for what future ministries can look like within uh, our context. So uh, the thing about um, Jim saying that the Psalm 23 is not his favorite psalm, um, by the end of this sermon series, I believe that it will be your favorite <laughs> psalm. You're, we're going to go through this, this psalm for the next six to eight weeks, so I just want you all to get comfortable with the meditations and the thoughts that, that you will hear uh, from that psalm. And, and I would say this, that it is, for me, one of those uh, scriptures in the Bible where it, it's hard to come up with a sermon or any set proclamation or assertion from it more than you just sit with it and let the words kind of wash over you. And so um, I would encourage us and invite you to do that this morning uh, as we go into the sermon time. Would you pray with me? Oh, holy God. Lord, we pray that you are with Pastor Laura, that you are guiding her thoughts, guiding her way, uh, bring her back safely to us. Lord, and I pray that the meditations uh, of our heart will be acceptable to you in this time and in this place. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So before high school, and I, I don't know if I like want to admit this or not, but I will, I didn't have very many girlfriends. Oh, don't, don't get me wrong. I had lots of friends that were girls, but those relationships of exclusivity really didn't begin for me till later in high school. And I know many of you are probably thinking, well, that's the way it should be, Matt, right? But inevitably and maybe expectedly, uh, many of those first relationships crashed and burned, and they crashed and burned really quickly. And each time one would, I would go to my parents, uh, and I would talk to them about it. And there's something that you have to know about my parents. Uh, they may be pretty harsh critics at first, but altogether and ultimately, they are uh, glass half full type of people. So when one of those relationships would end, inevitably I would hear these words from them, mijo, mijo, she just wasn't right for you. Trust us, we know you. Now I always found comfort in the fact that the two people who knew me best would so lovingly assure me that they knew me. But if they knew that these, these people were not right for me from the beginning, why wouldn't they say so at the beginning? And I suspect that they knew me so well that they knew there was no guarantee that I would listen. And they're probably sitting there, yeah, that's exactly right. Regardless, this was always a frustrating experience for me to realize that there were people in my life that knew me better than I knew myself. How many of you have had that experience? Maybe with a friend, a parent, a loved one. But honestly, it wasn't until I became a parent that I began to realize how you can know someone in these ways. See, I remember watching my children as babies, and even then, I carefully observed their interactions 
with the world. I saw the way their little bodies would respond to my touch as I held and swaddled them. And Abel, my eldest, even at a, at a, as a baby, he, was, he communicated something very particular to me. You see, in the hospital, they teach you when you're swaddling the baby to put the whole body into the swaddle, right? That, that's the way they're going to be comfortable. No, not Abel. Abel would cry. He needed his arms just out freely. And if you look at baby pictures of him, that's how he looks, just like this, all the time. It, it, it is kind of funny. And he's seven now. Don't make Abel feel trapped, okay? He wants his limbs swinging loosely and freely. And as toddlers... Uh, I remember observing the way they smiled and the way they laughed when certain family members would make baby noises at them and the way they would run up to those family members. And at the same time, I also remember the way they frowned and cried in terror when certain family members would come chasing them. And when they were small children, I remember watching their expressions when they first started watching cartoons, the things that would make them laugh, the things that would make them cry, the things that would make them scared. And I began to realize that they were becoming aware of the external world and the effects that it had on them. And of course, my aim as a father would be to always show them beautiful things, good things, true things. And Amelia, my youngest, with all the joy that God put in her heart, she just kind of took in those moments of happiness all the time. And if you get her rolling with laughter you better have a means to continue it. Because if she has to settle for a dull moment, okay, she's not gonna let you forget it. And even now, the questions that they ask and the thoughts that they have that they tell me about tell me so much about who they are. The way they react to their successes, the way they express their disappointments, the way they try to live out their hopes, and sometimes I don't even realize that I'm taking such careful mental notes until we experience something together and I find myself dictating to them what would be best for them. Abel, I tell him. Yeah. Bubba, you, you are going to like soccer way more than you like football. Trust me, I know you. And he, he, he kind of nods, and he still sort of accepts my suggestions sometimes. But of course, I now realize all the moments, all the experiences that that simple statement of affirmation rests. And for me, all these observations and all these notes culminated in a particular moment. I remember eavesdropping, that's right, I eavesdropped on a conversation between my children and their cousins and I couldn't tell you the exact content, but I remember hearing these words, my daddy says, which came from one of mine. And I probably should have been more concerned with what they were ascribing to or associating with me, but I remember hearing the word my. And all the memories, all the hugs, all the kisses, all the questions, all the laughs, all the tears, it just seemed to swirl around me in one fantastic blur, and out of that montage came that profound, gentle, personal, possessive pronoun, my. And I remember thinking in that moment, yes, they are mine, and I am theirs. Now, I imagine the psalmist David having that intense 
revelation about our relationship with God. David, as the writer of Psalm 23, he writes, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, it's important to realize that the dominant understanding of God, how extraordinary and how profound the use of my was relative to the understanding of God by Jewish people of that day and even today. In seminary, we were studying the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew, and a local rabbi was was teaching uh, that lesson for that day, and he reminded us uh, that, that Moses goes up the mountain, and Moses comes down the mountain, and Moses does, he does all this alone. And I remember listening, and I couldn't keep my hand down, and I raised, and he called on me, and he was like, what's the problem? And I was like, it just seems so impersonal, rabbi. And I meant that it seemed so impersonal that, that God would have Moses coming and going while the rest of us had to stay afoot, waiting for instruction or word from God. And he laughed and he said, I'll never understand why you desire so badly to have that space between God and us removed. And what he meant was that there is something mysterious, something respectful, something orderly about knowing where God is and where we are. And this is in line with the Jewish understanding of the Sabbath, everyone in their place, everyone fulfilling their role. This is essential to the functioning of a community. It makes sense, and there's beauty in that conception. And sometimes when I experience almost the irreverence of the Jesus is my homeboy culture, I sometimes think the rabbi has a point. But in any case, a common understanding of God was that God was at least to some degree other. Okay? God was around but not present. God was up on a mountain and we were down in the valley. God was alive but maybe not personal. Moses speaks to God. The priests speak to God, but, but we don't. And yet, the theology in this psalm is an expansion from this understanding of God. The psalmist's usage of the word my displays a deep sense of the personal relationship that God wishes to have with his children. What is implied by the usage of this personal pronoun my is a particular, no, it's, it's an intimate an intimate communion between God and his flock. It's not a bond of ownership, but a deeper bond of love, which simultaneously expresses the historical activity of God, God shepherding his people from Canaan to Egypt to Israel to the United Kingdom to the divided kingdom and beyond, and the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise that God will be our God and we will be God's people. And I want to take a moment to just dwell on this powerful assertion. To ponder your individual existence in light of God who created all things a God who desires to have a personal relationship with each one of us. It's profound. It's almost too big of a thought 
too fantastic of a thought to hold steady. When you think about creation, the vast horizons, the the sweeping landscape of a mountain range to the intricacy of life imprinted on a single leaf, it's it's mind-boggling if you think about it. And fortunately for us, in this psalm, the psalmist offers us a metaphor. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, many of you who are Old Testament scholars, you know that the OT, the Old Testament, is rich with shepherd language. But there are only four places in the entire Old Testament that refer to God as shepherd. And this psalm is the only psalm that does so. And it's striking in context. And Psalm 23's unique characteristic as the only psalm which calls God as my shepherd. It evokes an extraordinary relationship between the psalmist and God. And this relationship implies that it is not only the psalmist who knows God, but maybe more so and more importantly, it is God who knows the psalmist. And this relational reality is made clear by the very next line, I do not lack. The shepherd knows his flock. The shepherd knows his flock intimately. And this knowing is not rooted in power. It's not rooted in might, but in love. For only one that loves us can truly provide for us in a way in which we do not lack. So as imperfect as our our knowing is, the way we know our children, the way we know our friends, the way we know those who love us, it is a lens by which we may begin to grasp the way God knows his children, the way God knows each and every one of us. Now earlier I recounted for you the ways I've watched my children grow the little moments, the little quirks, the preferences, the hurts, the joys, the hopes. My daddy, they called me. They know deeply that I know them. Why then is it sometimes so hard for us, for me, to understand that God, the one who has been with us, shepherding us, caring for us, preparing things for us, knows us. Is it not the point of all the anticipation, all the waiting, all the hoping that on Christmas Day we can confidently proclaim that God is with us and yet when we say that, what does it mean? And I think Psalm 23 provides us that answer. God knows us. God knows us every moment, our every thought, our every inclination to do good, our every impulse to do wrong, our every victory, our every disappointment, our every hurt, our every hope. Church, in all our imperfections, in all our imperfections, God knows us perfectly. The Lord is my shepherd. 
Now, as a pastor, you hear all sorts of things, but, but I hear all fears, I hear all these sorts of fears and concerns that are rooted in a misunderstanding of this one simple but not easy realization, God knows us. You see, I think we sometimes get caught up in a web of planning our lives as a sort of presentation to God. It's as if we imagine God reclining in a heavenly cloud, throwing back heavenly kernels of popcorn, sitting down for his binge-watching session on Netflix. God doesn't care about Netflix. God cares about you. God cares about us. The Lord is my shepherd. And the good shepherd walks with us, talks with us, wanders about life with us. And the shepherd has seen us grow, has tended to our needs, and even now is preparing us for what lies ahead. And it is this actual reality in which we must come to terms. For it is this conviction that allows us to confidently and compassionately proclaim, I am imperfect. I am imperfect and that is okay and it's okay because the Lord is my shepherd. And if you are sitting here listening to this message, that means that God knows you, that God knows you intimately and God is not done with you yet. So for me, Personally, there is a relief in these proclamations of which I know I am sometimes guilty disregarding. I do get caught up in the presentation of my life rather than the living of my life fully. And I think, and I think to know that God is your shepherd means that you can live life and you can live it to the fullest with the full assurance that even though your presentation is imperfect, God's love for you is perfect. God will not abandon you. And there is so much humility, compassion, and mercy inherent in this realization. For me, it makes me a much more malleable person. One that aims to walk with people rather than walk ahead of somebody. So let this be your rallying cry into the new year. Let this be the principle that forms your practice in the world. God knows you. God knows you intimately. God loves you. Now go and tell others of your shepherd. Go and tell others of his perfect love for you amidst all your imperfections. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are the good shepherd. And we give you thanks for the ways that you've provided for us, guided us, the way you've led us along. Lord, I pray you make your presence real to us, that you draw us close to your heart so that when we leave this place, we can tell others of your love, 
of your perfect love. When we pray all these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.